the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 2. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. episode number two and we are gonna chit chat and get to know you better on this episode okay no pressure (laughs) um (laughs) how are you how are you this morning I'm good I'm good it's earlier here I'm a couple hours earlier than you about two and um but not too early it's beautiful and um it's been a big creative week for me um how's your how's your week going it has been pretty uh big and creative as well although um what I tend to do is when I have a lot on my plate or plates in the air whichever metaphor you want to (laughs) use um I can tend to go in with sort of a deer in the headlights (laughs) look and feel about me and get really overwhelmed you know so then I just I have to start and it's clunky, but, um, I've gotten some things done this week. I have, I am, you know, I'm getting ready for the, um, she recovers New York weekend in May, um, in which I will have a booth and I think that this will air before then, um, Anyway, and so, yeah, I'm counting down the days and trying to um, increase my inventory by, you know, times 100. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's just a little bit. It's a little bit. I have a little bit to do. And um, but I spent the whole day in the studio yesterday and that was nice. Do you kind of tackle it with a list or do you, do you have a different way? What's your method with that? Because um, there's a lot you have to do. I, I do have a list, um, but I am one of those kind of people that can't, um, say for instance, I'm making 10 of one thing um, and 10 of something else and 10 of something else. I go one, one, one. Really? And then back to the beginning. One, Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is that the most efficient way to do something? Probably not. Nope. <laughs> but that is how my brain, I, you know, yeah. I've never been diagnosed with adult ADHD. I've made it to 47 if I have it and I'm just going to keep going. There's nothing I'm going to try to change about it, but that, that is the way I do it. Yep. And it's not, it's not super efficient. It's not, but it is the way I do it. So it's like, um, well, I was going to try to compare it to, you know, some sort of industrial work and 
I, I can't even do that. <laughs> well, I find that interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just your process, right? That's how you work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that um, it's curious to me. I But I get it because I think, like, do you get bored or do you? I think I get bored. Mm. And so then I want to hop to the next thing. Um, yeah. So you, I'll get... you need variation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but then I, you know, then I'll come back to that. So I could have like five things I'm working on at once, which isn't good. I mean, like every, um, efficiency, uh, expert will tell you that that is not the most efficient way to do things, but yet. <laughs> but doesn't that kind of fuel everything though? For me, like when I'm working on a bunch of things, it can feel chaotic and overwhelming. At some point I have to stop and go, okay, let's figure out what's the best way. But there's a little pocket of time there where it feels like you're just in this really wonderful space, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything's coming out and you have to do a little bit of everything because you can't, you got to get out of your brain. Yes. Right. Oh yes. And that's, that's actually, that's a, that's, that's the point that I didn't make. Yeah. I have to get it out of my brain. And so I feel like if it's, if I neglect something, you know, for even, you know, a day or, or if I don't spend 30 minutes on it, it's going to go away. That, that kind of fire with that particular project is going to die down. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. Oh, well, I wish you luck. That's a lot of good work you're going to be doing this month. Thank you. Yeah. And you, what have you been, what have Uh, you been working on this week? Oh, well, I, I finished my nemesis, the cow skull painting and, um, I kind of love it now. Um, <laughs> which I'm I kind of liked it too. I, I, you kept sort of bemoaning it and I, you know, but I, I kind of like, I liked it. I bemoaned it because it scared me, right? It's mm-hmm. a little scary to paint something. I want to paint something that I want to keep. And when, mm-hmm. when I'm given these compositions in my art class, so I'm in a beginning oil painting class at the junior college. And when I'm giving this composition of like a plastic Easter egg, a porcelain basket full of fruit, a cow skull, a fan, um, dried flowers, like that composition, there's no, I don't want to paint any of that. that that's right. Not you pretty have no feeling, Mm-mm. right. You have no yeah, it doesn't, there's no expression of you in that whatsoever. No, but my art teacher, my professor is just fantastic. So she knew I was stuck and she just said, what's going to, what's going to help you move through this? Because the point is to do a pointillism painting and you use your full palette of color. Like the point isn't the cow skull, but I couldn't get over it. So she helped me get over it by saying that I could do these rays of light. She's like, why don't you use your rays of light that you use in the other art that you make? Oh. And why so that's that how that came in. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, that, that was beautiful. Like <laughs> and I said, I can do that. And she said, Tammy, I'm just like giving you the rules to paint. And you need to have a foundation, but you get to make these decisions. You're right. You get to make it yours. You don't have to take it so literally. No, but I do that a lot in art, in my art classes, because I'm so diligently taking notes. Like I'm the only art student taking notes in a notebook, right? And so I'm like... <laughs> That's, they're more intuitive. They're kind of freer. And I'm a little bit more rigid going, I want to know exactly how you got that color. Well, there's no exact answer. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that doesn't satisfy me. But anyhow, I could go on this forever. But I got the painting done. And when I stepped back from it, like with most things, 
your perspective changes. So from across the room, when I submitted, I went in there kind of going, oh, this is just, I'm turning this in, it's done. And I don't love it. And I don't, when I saw it next to all the other paintings, it, it kind of caught your breath. Like, it was pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to say it was the best one because there was one that was just phenomenal. But out of the six students in my painting class that did it, I'd say mine was the second best one. I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah. So that shifted my week and my making and how I was looking at things. And I learned a ton, which is always good. And I, you know, painting kind of translates into life stuff for me. So um, it was good. I'm, I moved on to a nightscape painting, which I'm working on now, which will be my new challenge. So I'm not going to bemoan it. I'm going to try to learn from it. So, yeah. So it's been good. It's been a good That's week. A good, good art making week. week. Yeah. For sure. Okay, well, let's get started. We're going to interview you today so that the listeners can learn more about you, and I'm going to learn more about you. Um, We have a little loose um, guidelines here, but uh, I'm going to just dive in. Okay. So I want to ask you to share just a little, just like a short bio um, about you and where you live and, you know, a little bit about you just before we kick into the questions. Can you, can you? Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a Texas girl. I was, um, born and I have lived in Texas my, um, whole life. My family, my, my, on my dad's side are Texans, but, uh, on my mom's side, that part of my family is from, um, Alabama. So the deep South. And I spent a lot of time there too. And it had a big influence on me growing up. Um, so I'm very Southern, <laughs> if you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I can. <laughs> I like pie. <laughs> I like magnolia flowers. <laughs> I'm very Southern. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, near Houston, but uh, very small town that I would consider uh, East Texas, so very small town. Um, I wanted to get the hell out of there as fast as I could when I graduated from high school, so I went to college in a beautiful uh, town called San Marcos, and there's a river that flows through it, and as soon as I visited that campus and saw that river, I I knew that that's where I was going to go to school. And regardless of what they offered academically or anything, that that had no bearing on my decision making. Um, and so I went to school there and I was in school for a very long time um, because I kept flip flopping and I added major added things and whatnot. But we can talk about that later. And then um, and now I live in Austin and uh, I love it here. I've lived here since the nine early 90s and um I don't really see myself uh living anywhere else actually I don't know maybe in a you know I do actually I do envision living on a bigger piece of land maybe at some point farmhouse is what I you know sort of envision for my future but for now I live in the city and um I have two kids and my kids are in great schools and so not going anywhere for a while. And your husband's an artist, right? He um he has a, a BFA and um I would call him an artist, although he doesn't make art all the time. Um, but he is very 
creative and I would definitely, definitely call him an artist. He was a working artist for a long time and he's still, he's very much a maker and he's very creative. So yeah. Yeah. And he's a nice guy. And he's a nice guy. I know I got Mm -hmm. to meet him in November and he was a really nice guy. Um, Okay, so I want to ask you, because I'm curious about this, what what kind of maker were you as a kid? What kind of things did you delve into as a young person? You know, um, probably more than anything, um, my biggest creative act was that I was a a daydreamer. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, so (laughs) that that isn't... um, super productive, although it didn't hurt, you know, uh, you and I, I mean, just obviously because of our age, we grew up at a time where obviously, um, you know, there was lots of MTV, but that was about the most, uh, innovative media, uh, that was available to me. And, um, but yeah, I, I was a big daydreamer and I, um, my, uh, home life was a little chaotic. Hmm. And, um, so, and I had friends and I would get out of the house. I spent a lot of time outdoors as well. So I, either I was in my room, um, under the blankets daydreaming <laughs> or I was, um, outside playing in the woods barefoot. Um, so those were kind of two, my, uh, my two existences and, You know, I I dabbled in making doll clothes and um, things like that. But I was I was a bit impulsive, like, you know, I would make the doll clothes and then the next year I would rip all the heads off of my Barbie dolls (laughs) for absolutely no reason and just to see what would happen. And so, yeah, I was always a bit of a I don't know, I, I guess I was always a bit of a weirdo. (laughs) <laughs> in that respect, just impulsive, impulsive. Yeah, I like which that you are carries still through. Day, you're still a daydreamer. I love it, except for yeah. now. It's not like this. It's like you're you're doing things to make those dreams happen. Right. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I, I can I can imagine little Sandra. I can. Did you want to be a VJ? Because I mean, I wanted to be a VJ. Who didn't want to be a VJ on MTV? I did. I would make <laughs> I would make mixtapes from the radio, you mm-hmm. know, just like remember you'd put the cassette in oh, your yeah. recorder and you push it up to the radio. I would do that. And most of those were like sappy sort of, you know, my composites were like sappy sort of love songs like Air Supply and <laughs> I, I used to do that with Crystal Gale. Um, I would play my records and then I would record them on my little cassette tape recorder. I'd spent a lot of hours in my room doing that too. That was, mm-hmm. that was, um, that was our social media back then. Right. <laughs> and you'd share that tape with somebody else, right? Or somebody yep. that you liked mm-hmm. or, or you... call it, call a guy and just play it like not, <laughs> and hang you up know. the phone. Cause they didn't you know. have caller ID. Right. <laughs> just hang up the phone. <laughs> Oh, so, um, what, at what age did you, did it, you start drinking at? Like when, when did that hit for you? Well, I have to say that, um, I didn't drink a lot. I I barely drank. I barely even tried alcohol in high school. 
I um, was raised in um, a pretty fundamentalist Christian environment, lots of church, lots of church activities, lots of church friends. Now, I had friends that were outside of church, but um, those were my primary, that's where I spent a lot of time. And, um, you know, I guess it's, there's a cliche that, you know, church kids are the are the most promiscuous or the craziest, but that wasn't really my experience at all. Um, I think it was because my home life was pretty chaotic. I've found quite a bit of, um, yeah, like safety, I guess in, in church and with my church friends. And, um, so I didn't really experiment I didn't find a need to experiment with alcohol much and, and I didn't hang around people who experimented. And so I guess that was a good thing. That was, um, I suppose, you know, I mean, it happened eventually, but it didn't happen much in high school. Um, I remember the first time though, that I got pretty tanked was, I, I, I think it was the summer after I had graduated from high school and um, I was with a friend who was a little bit older, and we drank um, a six-pack, maybe, of peach wine coolers. Like, to this day, I cannot stand anything peach-flavored. I like peaches, but not peach flavoring, because I threw up, and um, it was awful at the moment. But then I thought, huh, yeah, I could do that again. <laughs> I could mm. do that again. Because I remember we laid on the car and we just laughed hysterically over, you know, nothing. And um, I guess that felt sort of freeing, you know. I felt, um, you know, I I, I spent most of my life trying to um, look, make everything look fine. Um, And... uh, you know, be a good girl and make everything, make sure everything appeared fine. Um, even though, um, things weren't always fine in my family. Um, and so maybe it was like the first time I felt uninhibited. Uh, and so I, yeah, so I went with it. And then when I went to college, that's just when, that's just when it all, um, sort of came undone, I guess. At that point, um, at that point it was like, uh, you know, it was my, became my coping mechanism as well as my vehicle for, you know, fun and socializing and bonding and romance and everything. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the first taste of it. So, so when you went to college and that kind of kicked in, um, were you taking creative classes? Were you taking anything that interested you that, um, you know, is, did that kind of bloom there? No, actually, I, um, I was the kind, I never did, um, I never took the creative classes as electives in high school. Um, and I can't really tell you why. I didn't really have my mom was great about, um, constantly giving us positive reinforcement. I 
So I wouldn't say that I had low self-esteem as a kid, but I didn't really have high self, self-esteem self either. It was almost like I, I had, like it was nothing. Like I was unattached to mm. that part of myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, but I remember, you know, sitting through every high school theater performance and just being so envious that that wasn't me up there. But for some reason, I couldn't, I could I was envious, but I, but I couldn't envision myself being that person either, you know? And so, um, when I got to college, you know, I was, um, the first, uh, I was, excuse me, I was, um, one of the first people in my family to go to college. I say one of, I was the, uh, and, and cause my parents didn't, they went back to school like community college um when they were adults way way older and um I think both of them actually ended up getting an associate's degree but um uh you know no one prior to them I don't think on either side went to college had a college education and so um I guess because of that I felt compelled to go the academic route, you know? Um, yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah, and so I, but I was always on the periphery of the artists and the creative people. And um, and that was, you know, like, so I surrounded myself with um, theater friends and friends that were in the art department. All my friends were in theater or art all of them in college. And, um, but actually I was, will say, I tell a funny story, funny as in sad. (laughs) (laughs) One of those funny stories. (laughs) Do tell. uh, But I took an intro to theater class, um, my freshman year. And, um, I remember it came time to do this perform my first soliloquy and I did a soliloquy from the glass menagerie. I can't really even tell you which one I did. I've actually recently tried to go back and try to figure out which one I did. And I can't, I can't remember which one it was, but, um, I was nervous as hell, but I knew that I, like I channeled something else. And, um, and when I got off the stage, the professor told me, you know, he, he said, you really, you need to keep going. You have something, you really should keep going. And I thought he was lying to me. Aww. I mean, why, why would he, I'm yeah, sure why would he, he lie to you? <laughs> just blowing smoke up, you know, 19 year olds butts. But I was convinced that he was lying to me and I never took another theater class. So instead I just sort of surrounded myself, um, with, uh, you know, creative friends and, um, I pursued academia, academia. I got a, um, or liberal, liberal arts, I guess you could say I actually, uh, majored in sociology. So that was, I felt like that was as creative as I could get. And, um, I minored in political science and then I ended up, um, starting all, not completely all over, but kind of in the middle and ended up getting a teaching certificate, um, from middle school and high school, which I've never used, by the way. And, um, yeah, so. But you needed that. You needed that, that for your 
based on how you grew up and what that, that informed you and so that you felt like you needed to do that in college, like that's what college was for? That was college was for. I needed to get a really good, I, I just felt like pursuing something creative would have been frivolous. Mm. <laughs> and right. even though I never used any of my degrees for what they were, you know, that that could have used them for, I never used them. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was, um, I thought it was something frivolous. I did work on a couple of really cool projects though while I was in college where, I, but I was like, the transcriber or, you know, the interviewer, um, things like that. So you so, took a more serious role then, right? You were the more, mm-hmm. still kind of like the academia, just kind of, I'll be the right. person who reads or writes this or. Right. But I worked on this one big project where there were a lot of photographers involved. And that's kind of when I first got interested in photography. I had just like a point and shoot at that time. But, um, I, got really close to some of the photographers that had worked on this project. And I thought I could do that. I, I have that, I have the same eye. And that's when I really started. That's when I started taking pictures. Now, of course, as a poor college student, you know, you had to buy the film and then you had to get it printed. And so, um, I, and since I wasn't in a photography class, I couldn't really do it economically. So I just kind of played around until I graduated until I finished college. And that's when I finally thought, okay, now I can really, um, pursue this because I was so interested. And so I actually enlisted one of the, one of the, my fellow student colleagues on this um, project that we had worked on and asked if she would give me some private lessons. And, um, so that's kind of how I, I got going with photography. Yeah, and did you go? Uh, um, and then did I you went go back, back to school, school for photography and film. I sure did. Okay, I went back to school for photography. Mm-hmm. And would that be to get a yeah. master's, or is that to just go no, for a different no, uh, I major? No, I had to start all over. Yeah, I okay. had to start all over. So I, I think wow. I'm like one class, maybe two classes short of actually having my um, my uh, associate's degree in um, photographic technology. But again, that was in the early 90s. And so, um, you know, that was pre-digital. And uh, so, yeah, so I learned how to, you know, I really learned how to use a camera because you really, you you didn't have the gift of Photoshop. And and, um, so I really learned how to use a camera and I really learned about lighting. And um, I ended up doing lots of internships with photographers and ended up working um as a paid job for a photographer for a long time and so um I learned all all kinds of stuff just about everything um uh but that's also when I was you know that was in my 20s and I um also worked in the service industry I waited tables and bartended and always kind of kept photography as a side gig, it was meant to be my main gig, but it never got that way because really my main gig was always drinking. And, um, so it never, it never took the spot that I wanted it to take. Yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't room for it, right? Mm-mm, no. Uh, I'm curious. So, so, be, so before you quit drinking, you have photography. So you, you get into photography. That's your that's your thing that you lo- you're liking. You you have an eye for it. And 
what else did you recreate? Because I know you you started at the Ruffled brand of clothing, right? Right. So when did I, that come in? I, my grandma taught me how to sew. She taught me how to cook and sew. Hmm. This is my granny from um, Alabama, and um, she was like a like a like a true homesteader, and she um, taught me all of those all of those beautiful skills. And, um, so I always sewed, uh, I was always very creative with my wardrobe. Like, you know, we, I think we're going to probably have a whole thing about thrifting at some point, but I started thrifting when I was a teenager and I was always pretty creative with my clothing. And, um, I would, you know, take things apart and, and restructure them and, um, you know, I did that. I've done that since I was a teenager. And um, so uh, after my son was born, or not after, actually, while I was pregnant with him, um, I actually had moved out of Austin for a little while and was living in the small town out in the hill country, um, pretty vibrant, uh, creative little town in its own right. And um, I worked at a clothing store um, while I was pregnant, um, because the, the service industry was taking too much of a toll on my, my pregnant body. And, um, I started, we were going to have a fashion show and I thought I'm going to make, like, I, I just sort of this kind of line in my head that I wanted to crank to, to make for this fashion show. And if it, if I got a good response, then, then my friend, you know, offered to carry it, carry my designs in her store. And so that's what I did. And, um, that first line was all made out of vintage scarves. And this was in, uh, 2002. And, um, so that's how that started. And then it kind of took off, like everything was bought from that fashion show. And then I just kept going and making and I ended up getting a rep um, who showed this was pre Etsy so I ended up getting wow. a rep and who showed my stuff at Dallas Market I had stores at one point I probably had 20 stores all over the south it was like the busiest two years of my life and I had a baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. And believe it or not, I, I even drank through that too. I mean, I don't know how, I don't have a lot of memory actually of that time. Mm. Um, you know, it was when my son was like, you know, one and two and, um, it was nuts. It was crazy. I wanted, I needed to hire someone, but I, I, I couldn't release control enough to hire anyone and it was just nuts. And, but what ended up happening was that my rep decided to take a break. And so I thought, well, I'll take a break too and regroup. And then I just never, it, I never got another rep and I never, you know, I kept doing it, but it never looked, it never, um, scaled, I guess is the right. Mm-hmm. the word the right word to use it never scaled it just sort of stayed this kind of well I've called it a labor of love it just kind of stayed this labor of love because again you 
you you just I you just don't have room for um, growth really. You don't have room for growth um, when you know alcohol is your is your main gig. <laughs> right. There's just no room for anything else to grow. That is that's a really yeah that's a very true statement because it's the centerpiece it's the focus it's the priority yeah yeah so these things are floating around outside you know and you're dabbling and like so for two years you did that that's amazing so i yeah 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 and um but but they but they but the beautiful thing is that when i quit drinking they were both still there both of those things were still there and um just sort of you know waiting for me to dive back in and and i often say that um when i finally quit for good on you know july 13th 2014 it was almost i mean i had one of those really true surrender moments but it was almost it was a relief it was like wow okay now i can get back to work now i can get to work and um you know, since then it's felt like making up for lost time and sometimes that's not such a good feeling, but. But it's there. It's waiting, but it's like there. you said. It, it's right there. So so your um, clothing designs and photography, those are your mediums now, right? Those are your preferred. Oh, and writing. And you write But well. I write too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And the writing was always something there too, but it was just always for me. I mean, again, um, in high school and in college, whenever I really applied myself to whatever I was writing for a grade, I would always just get a lot of praise from my professors. Um, again, though, I never believed them. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> sure to say this to every student. <laughs> and I never believed them. Wow. God, if we would just yeah. believe people, right? We could just hear and receive praise and get those compliments and do something with it, instead of just like filing them away in like doomsday <laughs> file cabinet. Like, nope, that couldn't possibly be for me, you know? Right. But it, yeah. but it is. Um, yeah. You told me, I'm going to just kind of go back here. It, um, one of our first conversations last June, uh, you said a couple of things to me that I wrote down that I really loved. And so I hope you don't mind me quoting you back to you. Um, but you said journaling saved my ass. Yeah. And did you journal at this time before I'm talking about, we're still in the, what it was like phase. So, so did you journal back when you were drinking? I did. I have, I have piles of journals, although a lot of them are, um, how do we say illegible? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, I might have a few of those. (laughs) Right. Late at night, you might have been jotting things down, or mm-hmm. you were yeah, inviting. I I do have piles of journals, and so many of them are illegible. But <clears throat> when I first quit drinking, I went back through just to see, you know, because we tried tried to I I don't know about everyone else, but you tried to find the clues, like where did I did I have a clue about this um, when I was in my twenties. Um, and the constant, a constant theme of my journaling was, um, feeling stuck and, uh, you know, if I could just get past this one 
thing, if I could just figure out, it's like solving a Rubik's Cube or something, if I could just get these three squares to line up, I think I could figure it out and I could be unstuck. And, um, and every once in a while, there would be a line about, maybe I need to drink less, you know, I think that's what it is. But I, you know, but then it would go right back to, nope, I think it's not, it's something else. I just haven't figured it out. Um, without ever, ever fully, fully admitting that it was, it, it was exactly alcohol that was holding me back. But there was a thread of it through your writing. You could glimpse it now when you look back, you see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And you have all your journals still? Yeah, I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah. 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 They're like That's trusted friends or something, right? They're like I part have of journals. Your... I also have a box of um, not a pack rat or <laughs> but <laughs> I have collections of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I do have a box of and it's one of my prized possessions, but it's like written correspondence from lots of my friends from um, college, that time frame, high school to, to my 20s, I guess. And um, that really, there's lots of really telltale things in, the, in those two. And um, they kind of, they really paint a picture, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I was also going to ask you just before we move on here to what happened, which is what we're going to kind of phase these interviews. I probably should have said this at the beginning of, I'm going to ask questions um, about what it was like. So that's the kind of the section we're in now. And then we're going to talk about what happened and then we're going to say what it's like now. So we're just to, to finish up the, what it was like, um, I wanted, since I have a thing for creative redheads, apparently, I have several in my life <laughs> that I am drawn to. I have writers and um, and creatives, and there's something about, I don't know, I'm just drawn. I have, I have about five creative redheads in my life. That's so and funny. And <laughs> so that makes me think of our, since we're 80s girls, uh, Molly Ringwald's Pretty in Pink. I mean, that was like an epic movie back she in the day. Was, yeah, she was my, she was more than just my hero. Like she was the person that I really thought I was, you know, going back to the daydreaming and stuff that I, I really, really thought I was Molly Ringwald. I can see it. I can totally see it. And back in the day, I would, I would have liked to have dressed like her friend at the record shop. I wasn't as wise as her, but I would have, yeah, that, that was just such a, that movie just takes me back. But she has a best friend, Ducky, in the movie. Did you have a Ducky in your life back then? Um, or someone that was your, not, it doesn't have to be a man, but did you have what? someone that was kind of your, in your? Oh, oh yeah, I had, oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I had, I had two girlfriends in high school that I was super close to. And we, um, gosh, we had a really, we had a pretty good high school experience, but it was sort of, based on our, you know, sort of disdain for a lot of people that we went to high school with. Mm-hmm. That's high school. Kind <laughs> of this pretentious, there was definitely a pretentiousness that, that surrounded it. But, um, but you know, when I, when I did go, 
to college, like, you know, more of that sort of transitional time, um, I would say that that's kind of when I started, you know, having some, I guess you would not really goofy. I would hate for anyone to listen to this to think I was referring to them as a goofy admirer, but I had a lot of, um, I had this need to be adored and, you know, I'm sure that at some point we'll talk about relationships and, okay. you know, what those were like, what happened and what they're <laughs> like now. Right. But, um, but I always had this need to, um, be desired or, or adored and, um, and, then, not, and then not believe it. <laughs> Like well, the professors, because they were kind of know, adoring you, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess there was. You're right. There was some element to that, not believing it. But at the same time, yeah. And I also kept that at at arm's length, you know, like I really I wanted to be adored, but I didn't want those to come to develop into any sort of true, you know, relationship or romance. So I don't know. I haven't figured all that out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, but um yeah so you have yes, many duckies in your closet you I did have some duckies for sure <laughs> we'll just leave it at that we don't want to out anybody <laughs> well let's move on to what happened so how or why or, or what what made you decide that you finally had to stop drinking well I mean there were just uh, there were always things that, um, they're always just major, I wouldn't even call them red flags. They were like explosions, um, that should have, uh, been the end. Um, a lot of people I think would have said, wow, yeah, this is clearly a problem. Um, and, uh, those started, I always, I guess probably, it probably didn't happen until my mid to late twenties where I felt like my relationship with alcohol was different than my friends. I mean, I always surrounded myself with people who drank like me. Like I said, I worked in the service industry. Um, that's a hard drinking industry and, um, a hard party in industry, an industry that has a ton of fun. I think that's changing now, but, but at least when I was in it, um, that's how it was. And, uh, a lot of people that I, um, became friends with from, you know, work friends and stuff, we were all, we all did the same thing, but I always felt like my relationship with alcohol was different. Everybody seemed to be having a little bit better time than I was. Um, they seemed to be a little le less miserable. Um, they seemed to be more charming or, you know, they vomited less than I did. <laughs> you know, they, they remembered things where I did not. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was always pretty aware of that. Like, huh, <laughs> that's, I want to be more, I want to have their experience. And, um, but it just never, I don't, you could call it denial you can call it ignorance, but I, I just thought that I had not figured it out. Mm -hmm. I figured out, did, couldn't figure out how to drink right. And, um, and it never, I never 
thought that I wouldn't not drink though. Never thought that. And, um, but there were times where I would, um, take breaks or try attempt to take breaks. And, um, I remember, uh, in my early thirties was one of those times. And I can't remember if there was an incident, probably like I probably did something stupid or something I was ashamed of. And, um, I tried to take a break, had no plan though, really. Um, and you know, and, and really I'm sure my plan was I'll eventually go back to some sort of controlled drinking moderation and um and that didn't work out but then I shortly after that I got pregnant and I have to say that um I knew I was pregnant the 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 day one of being pregnant like I just had this um intuition Hmm. and um I immediately felt relief and I didn't have a drop to drink after that day um, throughout my whole pregnancy. And, um, yeah, like I said, all I can say is it felt like this true, um, relief. And, um, I didn't, uh, experience that again, really until, uh, my day one. So I, yeah, so I had many, um, attempts at control drinking, I guess, because they were never, ever genuine. Like I never genuinely sought out means, um, to help me quit because, uh, I knew that I'd always probably just go back to drinking. What was the final straw then? What was the turning point that you Um, got to your day one? Like just, I mean, you don't have to go through the whole thing, but just like, was, what was that night before the day one? Like, there were the, in in the last probably f- five to eight years of my drinking. There were just so many, so many things, you know, that um, you know, it was like, okay, well, I got away with that. What else can I get away with? Um, always pushing that line out, and then something really bad would happen. Like I would, um, I would, you know, throw up in front of my kids. Um, I never, you know, got a DUI and I never spent any time in jail. Um, but that's only, uh, pure luck that that didn't happen. Um, but, uh, so those would like kind of arrest me a minute Mm -hmm. and, and make me go, okay, I've got to get a handle on this. But at that point, um, you know, I was addicted. You you just, I mean, it, you know, it, it's progressive. Um, yeah. and I couldn't just knock it off. I could, you know, I, I couldn't. And, um, so, so then the, the last night I drank, it was one of those things where I went, um, I got talked into going to a party that I didn't want to go to. I, um, but you know, we can only get, we can't get talked into anything. I know this now, really, (laughs) you know, you, you, yeah, you either decide that that's what you're going to do or you decide you're not going to do it. But, um, I went to a party that I didn't want to go to. Um, I wasn't going to drink and then I drank. 
I uh, was certainly not going to get drunk. And I got completely uh, wasted in about a you know, four or five hour span of time. And um, when I came home, I was stumbling around trying to act sober, even right. though I was very far from that. I know that and, well. <laughs> um, i pretty sure my husband was disgusted with me. I'm sure he rolled his eyes or something, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm not gonna um, put a behave, put a reaction onto him, but I'm sure he reacted. Uh, and, but, but I remember that my kid said, um, you know, mom, I don't like it when you're drunk. And, um, but that wasn't the first time. So he, as awful as that sounds, <laughs> that wasn't the first time he had said that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did my typical pass out, wake up, cut, you know, drenched in my own sweat, heart beating out of my, coming up through my throat. Um, and I felt that every morning at about 2 a.m. And I had for the for the previous two years, I, you know, I've said before that I thought I was going through menopause and I was not, um, that was just the nightly detox. And, um, but for whatever reason I laid there and cried and said, I can't not do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I can't do it, do this anymore. And as far as I can remember, that was the first time I had like, it felt like resolve. I mean, it felt like true resolve. And then it felt immediately like relief again, like that time I felt when I was pregnant, the first, my first pregnancy, it felt like relief, like, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't know how I'm going to not do it, but I don't have to do that anymore. And, um, that's, that was it. That was in, and every day I took a step in that direction and, um, you know, and, and I'm still doing that today. You're making me cry, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for it, sharing that. I can feel it. Yeah. I yeah. Can, I know you're, I know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the things um, you, one of the things you said to me in our, one of our first calls too, that I wrote down was that you said I got sober and I got immediate relief. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me because I, of course, you know, I'm like, me too. Mm-hmm. You know, I found someone else that I can say me too, but that, yep. I don't know if people think about that. I mean, and not I, I everybody mean, feels yeah. that, you know, I've right. talked to a lot of women now and not everybody experiences that, but I sure did. I thank God I did. I'm very grateful for that because, um, and it's still very acute, that feeling very acute. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I did. And, you know, another thing I'll add to, and, you know, we'll definitely unbox all of these things as we go, but, um, I definitely, um, I, everything I was afraid to try, I have tried and most likely will try, um, um, because m- my fear of going back is much greater than my fear of trying something else that 
might just keep me sober another day. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it's good to keep that in perspective. Like it's not sometimes when we're talking about recovery it's, and we go back to these places um, of what happened and we can stay really stuck there. And I know you and I have talked about that. Like we want to talk about the going forward. And so I, I think that's what we're going to move into now. We're going to talk about what it's like now because now, the now I know um, it's so promising and so good. Um, but I was going to ask you, so what do you do you feel, I mean, I'm, I think I know the answer, but do you feel more creative since you stopped drinking? Do you feel? Definitely. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Yes, definitely. I mean, I can still procrastinate. I can still get into a tailspin like I was talking about at the beginning um, where I feel overwhelmed. But, um, you know, I know that, um, that I'm, I'm, that I, yeah, I know that I'm working in, you know, a creative direction. I have uh, a direction. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, follow and, I, and follow through, which is something that I didn't have before, especially with um, something that I maybe wasn't getting paid for, you know. And even sometimes I have to say things I got paid for, you know, I didn't always follow through, mm. um, you know, which really just completely, you know, gouges your integrity. Um, but I, yeah, I have way more follow through and I've always had a lot of ideas, but now my God, I really have to have to, you know, I'm a meticulous list maker and I'm constantly, you know, writing down the ideas because um, they really come now when your brain's just not completely addled and numb all the time. Um, just full of ideas now. Well, and so, yeah, my creativity looks so much different, so much different. It's explosive now. I, <laughs> I like yeah. that. I mm -hmm. see that with you. I feel that with, with our conversations and just how we just, there's so many things we talk about that we want to do. And that's why we're doing it now. Mm -hmm. You have a really beautiful practice. I'm going to jump to this, but you have a really beautiful practice. of Is it, is it called your name it journal? Oh yeah. My year? name it journal. That's what I was just oh, thinking about, you know, I would love I if a, you would talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I have a journal that I started that and again, one of those ideas that just sort of came to me. Oh, it was because I kept drawing this tarot card, this one tarot card, um, that, um, basically said, what is it that you want? Name it. And I kept, and it was, it was, it's a card about being stuck kind of. And, um, and so I thought, you know what, that's, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I am going to name it. And so, but I took, um, you know, I took elements of what you do. And, um, so instead of just making a kind of a dull list, I sort of illustrate it in the best way I can. I'm not so much of an illustrator, but I have a lot of pens and I can make something look pretty. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I love, my name at journal and it's going to be fun to see uh what things actually maybe materialize by the end of the year you know i mean i i'm not putting a lot of stock into you know whether it does or not but the sky's the limit on on naming things that um that i would like to see flourish in my life you know or maybe things that 
you know, I would like to see come to pass. Um, I guess this is sort of manifesting. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that word in this interview just to get me. Um, (laughs) I like it though. No, it's, it's, it's a way to kind of keep you accountable to yourself creatively, right? It's not, it's not, um, I mean, you could put it on a list, but that list might get lost or you write the groceries on the back of it. This is kind of like you're having an intention, just like we're talking about with a creative life, like having an intention for your practices and, and where you want them to go. Otherwise, we get distracted. <laughs> like see something oh. shiny, glitter, um, googly eyes. Like I go, oh, what's over there? <laughs> and you mm-hmm. might forget, not that it's not important or not that, you know, but you have to kind of grab it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, you know, like I said, the ideas are just pinging all the time. So I, I, yeah. (laughs) You have a little journal you can open up and keep you on track this year, right? Like this is what I'm working towards. And I love that. I love that. Um, so let's talk about you launched the unruffled website. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how long ago? How when did you when did that idea come to you? And then how did it come about? And then I just kind of want to know a little bit more about um, yeah, what what made you do that? So this June will be uh, two years, I guess. Yeah, two years. Um, well, the idea came because I started sort of brainstorming about um, you know it would be so nice to. Um, be able to explore. Okay. So I guess back up a second. Um, you know, I've belonged to quite a few, um, online sobriety groups online for quite some time. And, um, one of the common things I would hear from, I'm going to say women because the, the groups that I am in are, well, one's primarily women and one is exclusively women, but, um, from women, especially, um, was that they just did not know what to do with all this free time. And um, I was always felt like, okay, this is, this is my jam. I will help you with this. And, you know, and, um, and so I started sort of collecting all of these ideas just to help other women, you know, just to give them ideas in the comment section um, of a, of a thread or something, uh, what they could maybe do do with their time, something they could do with their hands and, and occupy their time all this time that, that quitting drinking frees up. And, um, so I thought, God, wouldn't it be great to have a place, uh, where, you know, you could go to actually work on a creative pursuit, sort of like these painting with the twists or, um, you know, blah, blah, blah with a twist. It's all the twist is wine. Right. And, um, and, and, you know, I thought, God, it would be really great to have a, you know, a brick and mortar place where people could go and feel it being a people that are in recovery could go. That would be a safe environment to create things. And, um, you know, since a brick and mortar place wasn't immediately accessible to me, I thought, well, I can, start with what I have and what I have is a computer and I can make the space online. And, um, so that's what I did. That's how I, that's how it started. I kind of made the space online. I love it. Yeah. You you named it. Yeah, I did. I (laughs) named it and then I did it. Wow. (laughs) And and so your design business was called ruffled and you called this the unruffled. I love that. Yeah. 
I love yeah. that. I like the symbolism Thanks. and the name and, and clearly yeah. we're using it for the podcast because it's just, it, when we were brainstorming about names, like I just kept said, you already figured it out. Yeah. It's like, like an undoing and unruffling and yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, so you also write and publish essays over on medium.com. Those I essays do. I love, love, love. And you've kind of separated those out. And um, can can you just tell me your thought process behind that? Or? Well, I am a compartmentalizer. <laughs> I am. I will, I, you know, I don't think we can put a value on that really. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know, but I am. And, um, and I, so I, I started taking a writing class, um, like, gosh, I was only, I was maybe six months sober when I started this writing class. Again, something I'd always wanted to pursue, um, with a little more direction and, you know, take it from just writing in my journal to something that was a little more, um, structured and, uh, you know, evenings freed up now. It's, like, you know, they don't serve alcohol in my writing class. So it was like, wow, I can do this. And so, um, and I, so I started writing about, well, you know, I just started writing this, this is, um, a, a, a nonfiction writing classic or a memoir writing class. And, um, so I started writing about my experiences, uh, you know, and alcohol was a big theme and the things I was writing about. Um, but what I really like to explore um were relationships and alcohol like my previous relationships and alcohol and how those two things are together they are super murky um but I also sort of write from like uh, tell you how I felt as opposed to tell you 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 know as opposed to telling you what happened or what I saw I will Mm -hmm. tell you more like how I felt and so I started writing these little, um, vin- I call them vignettes. They're just cause they're super edited and pared down, um, little, uh, snapshots of, of ta- different times in my life where, um, alcohol made things confusing in a particular relationship. And, um, they didn't really fit totally on my blog really um and I mean I think I've copied and pasted one of them but they just didn't totally fit on my blog and so I've just started collecting them over on medium and I don't know what the injuries I have no expectations really actually I'm just putting them there and um but I do love them and uh, the other thing I'll add about them is that I they're almost meant because i have written them for this class are almost meant to be written read aloud and a lot of them I have read aloud at um either in the class or we also have public readings where people are invited to come and a lot of them I've read like really read aloud like on a stage with a microphone really Uh uh-huh is it as big a microphone as the thing we have in front of our face right now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh-huh. pretty big. <laughs> I love it. I love those vignettes. They totally take me. Um, they're so moody. And, you, and you're right. They are pared down. But they just kind of sing. And they 
they transport me every time. So I love reading them. I like, I feel like I'm like, on this, you're like on the down low or something over on the medium is how I feel. Like, I, oh, yeah, I gotta yeah. go, I gotta go to the medium and read what else she's writing. Um, but you know, I kind of stalked you a little bit. So I kind of read everything and want to do, <laughs> want to know everything you're doing, Sandra. Uh, but I love it. I feel like I'm privy to the, I mean, I hope everybody reads them. Um, they can, can they go over to medium and find you over there? And yeah. Um, gosh, I, don't even know how you find me, but I think it's just my name. I think it's just under my name, not yeah. uh, not the Unruffle. It's just my name, Sandra Primo, under under and Medium. Yeah. yeah, and they're just little gems, and and they're yeah, just waiting thanks. to be read. I think, and I hope I hope more people read them because I absolutely love them. And hey. I, like when you, I like when you tell me you're going to your writing class. I know that you're usually working on pieces for the for that you publish there, right? Yeah, yeah. I usually um, I love a good critique, and so I always have. Well, since since I was um, since I got into photography, I love a good constructive criticism, you know, critique. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So I usually read them to my my little writing class before I publish them there. I love it. Yeah. Well, we are, I'm going to wrap this up soon um, because we're about okay. an hour. Um, but I right. do want to ask kind of like the, the closing question here is just more, um, you know, how has, how do you feel like if you could sum it up, which might be a big question here at the end, but how do you feel that making or creating um, has helped you in regard to your recovery? I mean, do you feel that that's an important component to your recovery? I think it's the it's one of the biggest components for me, actually. Um, you know, and maybe it's because I'm an introvert, like a lot of us are, you know, <laughs> little, you know, precious flowers that we are. But um, it is the thing that that makes me jump out of bed at five or four thirty or five o'clock every morning um, because I know I get to work on something and you know, a lot of these, a lot of these things that, that we work on or that I work on, um, you know, it's not for validation. It's not really for money. Um, now I do, I do do creative things for money. So, um, you know, I do have a job, but, um, and, and then I also will add that I am very fortunate that, um, you know, I'm in a, home life and situation where I'm, I am also, uh, the primary caretaker mom role for my kids. And so, um, you know, my husband fortunately, um, takes on the majority of the financial stuff, but you know, I do contribute and I, um, so I, you know, I get to work on something creative every day. It's what gets me out of bed every day. And, um, uh, and like I said, it, it's not for necessarily for validation or for, for, you know, accolades or money or praise or petting or anything. Um, it just feeds me, it feeds me. And, um, and I have, I have, you know, room for it. Like there's just nothing that, that is holding me back anymore. And I cannot even tell you what a feel, what an incredible feeling that is. It's, I can't even, I'm stumbling over words. It's hard to translate into words. Well, luckily I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Figured you would. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you so much 
for um, sharing all of that. That's a lot. That's a lot to give. And I think that's so cool. What we get to do in recovery is, is share our stories so that somebody else can kind of pick it up and run with it. That's what I did with yours when I heard it originally. When I heard you on Sense Right Now, I was oh yeah shaking my head. Me too. Me too. Okay. Yeah. She's telling my story, and not exactly, but enough that that um that it inspired me to keep going and, and yeah and let's look at where this is where we are right now because of it yeah so thank you Sandra you're welcome thanks uh, for all of your thoughtful questions <laughs> to repay you you're hoping for the Molly <laughs> Ringwald question I'm sure I'm sure you're like what is that doing on this interview um so we're going to end every show with talking about um three things that are in our toolbox, which can be our creative toolbox, our sobriety toolbox. Like what do we carry around that we're like kind of digging right now? And, um, I think, do you want to start? Do you have something you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start. So I already mentioned that I'm, that I'm busy. I'm a busy bee and I was in the studio all day and I can sew and listen to podcasts because I, uh, don't need to concentrate super hard and um, I can do both of those things at once and um, there's a new podcast called S Town which stands for shit town and it's all (laughs) um, the whole series is already put out every chapter and it I binged on that yesterday I listened it from the beginning to end I wish I was just starting it again today it is so good by the time this year I'm sure all of our listeners will have already listened to it but if if not you've got to listen to it I mean talk about content that sticks with you that one's going to stick with me for a long time uh, I only dream to make content like that it, it's amazing <laughs> that yeah. show and, mm-hmm. and talk about addictive like yeah you want to kind of binge, yeah. binge it right yep yep and you what's your first one uh, well, I will share a podcast as well, actually, that I really, really love. Um, it's called The Jealous Curator. Mm-hmm. And I found her last year, Daniel Krissa. She used to guest post on SF Girl by the Bay um, on mm-hmm. her blog. And that's where I originally yep. found her. And she kind of curated rooms and arts and if she, in art if she lived in that room. And um, she started interviewing and created a blog and started interviewing the artists that she featured. And I'm addicted to that podcast. I love it. I love hearing about the creative process, which kind of prompted us to talk and do this podcast. So Mm -hmm. if anybody is interested in, um, you know, sitting in your studio, they're great to listen to while you're making, um, and hearing, just hearing about their process. And I love, love hearing about process. So the jealous curator, the jealous curator would be my pod recommendation. That's a good one. Okay. Well, my number two is, um, it is full on spring in Texas. Actually, um, the temperature right now, I think in some parts of the country, they would consider this their summer, but, um, everything is blooming And, um, I love to go for walks in my neighborhood and I go on the same, I take the same route every day, every day. Um, but every day there's a new flower blooming or something smelling delicious or, you know, it's just such a good time to be outside right now. And it's, it just blows my mind. Um, that's one of the gifts of sobriety. It's just this mindfulness and noticing things around you. Oh my gosh. That is such 
I mean, you know, such a gift. And so, yeah, I take my phone and I take pictures of flowers and I love it. It's so beautiful here too. Yeah. Spring is, it, it, I don't, winter is kind of my favorite season. Mm -hmm. I love to settle in in winter, but spring, yeah, you can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong. So all the, all the metaphors in it too. And yeah. Ooh. Um, so I'm going to share my second favorite thing that's going on right now that I'm totally digging. Um, I make a cup of tea every single morning. Um, mm -hmm. and drink it. And it's the same cup of tea. I found it last uh, summer in um, Provence, actually. I went to the Kusmi Tea store in Provence, which doesn't that just sound lovely right there? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. The store was gorgeous, and they had all these samples you could try and smell. And I bought this um, Kusmi um, Detox Tea. And it has like grapefruit rind and kind of citrus. And it's super mellow. It's not like a crazy heavy tea, but it's herbal. And um, they make two detox, detox teas. One's in a green label and one's in a yellow label. And the yellow label is the one I love. But I kind of have a little morning ritual where I have that every morning about a special cup, like a double walled glass tea cup. And I kind of dig doing that. That starts my day every single morning. No matter what time I wake up, I put on the water kettle. I brew up a cup of that tea, and that's the first cup I have of the day. That's and, nice. And, yeah, I really I really love it. That's, that's my second nice. thing. Okay, my third thing, and I've mentioned this before, but I can't remember if I went into detail, but I'm going to say it again because it's going to be my third thing for this week, and then I won't, and then I won't. And then I'll move on. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I was one of those people that always wanted to be in a tarot and I couldn't, um, I could, none of the cards ever I don't, resonated with me really. I would, you know, I'd be in a bookstore and I'd look at tarot cards and I'd be like, eh, whatever. They're kind of cheesy. And, um, <clears throat> you know, because. <laughs> contempt. Contempt. <laughs> For everything. <laughs> and uh, so. And then my friend turned me on to um, this this stack of deck, deck, deck is the word, of tarot cards from um, this company. Well, this woman named Kim Kranz, and she has her um, line of tarot cards are called The Wild Unknown. And she's an illustrator, and they're illustrated with ink, and um, then they're colored with watercolors. And they're, they're magical. They are magical. And, um, I pull one every morning and, you know, it just gives me a little something like sometimes it's so spot on with what I'm already feeling. It is like uncanny. Like I look around and go, okay, who is in this room with me? This is weird. Um, I mean, really like serendipitously weird. Um, and then sometimes it just gives me something to sort of ponder for the day. And I know like a lot of people do probably, you know, they might do the 24 hour a day book or, you know, there's different kind of quote books or mantra books or something you can look at. And, um, I've kind of ditched all those for now. I go back to them every once in a while, but for now I pull my card every day and that just kind of gives me a little bit of something to chew on or, um, ruminate on or think about or yeah. And I just, I love them. The wild unknown. I think you can, I think she, um, didn't sell the company, but like a, a book, uh, a publisher bought her uh, cards. And so now I think you can buy them at like Barnes and Noble and everywhere, or you can buy them on her site, but they're beautiful. 
beautiful tarot cards. Um, she's on Instagram. Yes. And, or the company's yes. on Instagram. The company's on it's Instagram. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. You you turned me on to this. I know we have a few friends that, that use these these cards. Now, I don't know anything about tarot cards. And um, again, that would be something that I totally would have rejected um, before I quit drinking. Like, what? Uh, but I find the art of it, like, I am totally drawn to the cards because of the art. So that's pulled me in. That's been my mm-hmm. way in. And uh, they did sell them at an independent bookstore that I was at the other day. And I looked at them and thought about buying them, but I did not. I'm going to let that just float out there. But th- since you like them so much, and I know other of our um, friends of ours like them, I, I might check it out. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Okay. Well, and you do that every morning? Every morning. Oh, so mm-hmm. that's part of your morning routine. Yep. Yeah, it is. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my last thing is something that I use every single day. And so I use, I have a, bag of pens in my purse that travels with me that I think is kind of like my, it could be my creative toolbox, but also my sobriety toolbox because I use these pens to make marks when I'm anxious. I use these pens to make my gratitude lists every day, which kind of centers me and definitely a big piece of my morning routine. And they're by Sakura, S-A-K-U-R-A, and they're the jelly roll pens. Mm. And they're made in Japan and they have all these awesome colors you can go over them with watercolor and they don't bleed. They're, uh, yeah, they have like fluorescence, they have glitter. The glitter didn't work for me. Um, there's a few. No, not a glitter girl? I am. I do like me some glitter. <laughs> but, but not in, in the pen, in this jelly roll pens, the glitter didn't really, didn't flow when you, when you used it on the paper. So mm-hmm. those are super important to me. Those are like my... I don't know. It's like a security thing. Like, do I have all my pens? <laughs> no matter where I go, because I have a little journal in my purse and, and I have those pens. So they're my favorite. They're what I use on my gratitude list, which this year I decided to share on my Instagram feed every day. Um, we'll see how long I do that. But um, And isn't that funny? We used to think, um, I used to think, uh, do I have my wine key? Is my wine key in my purse? <laughs> <laughs> it's different mm-hmm. than that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like buying keychains just because it would have an opener on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you, gotta, you know, we're multitasking all the time. Yeah, very different. Do I have my pen and my pencil case? Yeah. So, okay, well, that's our episode. This is our second episode. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed yes. learning a little more about Sandra. And next week, we will um, we'll turn the tables on Tammy. So, hmm. check back. Can't wait. All right. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Go make a bunch of stuff. Get going. I'm I'm going. And all make all different things today. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, friend. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.